here we are. Today, we are in a new series, and titled this series, Lost in the Wild. So, uh, this is going to be a series that will be designed to help us figure out our identity in the kingdom, our identity in Jesus. So next week, we're going to do child uh, dedications. We'll, t- we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, that might, sermon might be titled, The Other Time Jesus Got Mad. Um, and then we're going to talk about a couple other things, water baptism and communion, things that the church has instituted that, that are biblical that we do. And then we'll pick this series back up again. Um, but the reason I, I really feel like this is an important series for us to go over is because far too often, People go through life not knowing who they were created to be or what they were created to do. Oftentimes what happens is we find our identity wrapped up in our career or wrapped up in being a spouse or a parent in our family, maybe even in our schooling because we just just love studies. I used to have this friend growing up. He was like a professional student. I, I think he was like working the system. I'm not sure, but... I was like, dude, are you ever going to graduate? And uh, he, he did eventually. But, but, you know, or the things that, that we do, like maybe a hobby or something that, that fulfills some basic needs that we have inside that we feel we need to have filled. Um, but our, our identity, our true identity is much deeper than that. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. It's something that God places in us I believe the moment that we are conceived, the moment conception takes place, God sees that life and he knows who we were created to be. So are we going to step into that? Will we carry those plans and dreams out that he has for us? Because our identity, our true identity can only be found in our creator, in Jesus. I almost titled this series Identity Crisis because I think in many social circles today, there are people who are having an identity crisis. They're just not sure who they are in life. And I I don't say that lightly either because I say that because there, there can be a lot of confusion when it comes to figuring out who we are in life or who we are during our faith journey. Oftentimes, we become a Christian, we put our faith in Jesus, and then, and then we're thinking, now what? There has to be something more to this, and there is. And, and so, like, think about a time when you got really lost. This is, we're going to go into analogy mode here. I mean, maybe it was a road trip. Maybe it was a hiking adventure or something outdoors, or maybe... When you hear, think about a time you got really lost, you go back to a childhood time where you got lost in the store. You know, my brother and I were two years apart. We would always run from my mom and hide in the clothes racks. And then the next thing you know, we don't know where mom is. But think about a time, though, that you really got lost. And then isn't it kind of like this? Everything is going as planned. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. This doesn't look familiar. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. And there's that disoriented feeling. And then panic starts to set in. And then you just don't know what to do. And oftentimes, isn't it true that the, the, the way to get to where you need to be is like right there? 
but you're disoriented and you just don't know what to do. And, and so I'm going to share with you a story. Some of you may have heard this story, but this is a story that happened to our family a number of years ago, 10, maybe 12 years ago. Kids were four or five or six, something like that. And we were on a family vacation. Now, it's funny to say, but just a short 10 or 12 years ago, we didn't have smartphones, right? We didn't have something, we didn't have a screen on our, our cars that automatically had a map, you know? At best, we had a computer and we pulled up this website called MapQuest, right? And we, we, we did our coordinates and, and, or if you're like me, you had the map and you're like, A, uh, 22, let's see, that's where I need to go. Who remembers those, right? Yeah. And you would write out your coordinates and your routes. So we were doing a family vacation down to Lake Cumberland, and, and about an hour south of Lake Cumberland is, is another lake which has become one of our family favorite spots. It's called Dale Hollow. And so I'm like, hey, let's go down there too, just for a change of scenery. And so, so I plotted out the route, and we went down to this uh, marina called Sulphur Creek, and we rented a boat and did all the fun stuff and came back and had a great meal and great day. And I'm looking, you know, on the map. So now you, you start at the bottom and work your way up back up, right? Because it's in reverse. So we get in the car and we leave. And by now it's, you know, what, I think 10, 11 o'clock. It's dark. It's late. We are in northwestern Tennessee, southwestern Kentucky, middle of nowhere. And, and, and I'm, dr I'm driving. I'm on, I'm on the right routes. And where I was supposed to take a right, I think I went straight. And then the next thing you know, I am disoriented because I find myself, ourselves, on this circle, this route. And I believe it was County Road 3101. I remember this night because this was the night that panic began. To, this was the night that I began to experience certain feelings that I don't think I've really experienced very often. Fear. <laughs> panic. Because we're driving around, we're in Kentucky, there's no lights anywhere, it's this big circle, all right? And then there was one road that kind of went in between. And so I would go and take a left and take a right and go back around. And there was another road that kind of jutted out and it was a dead end. I only went down that one once. <laughs> and the kids are sleeping. And now, mind you, Kim and I, we, we don't argue. We, we, we never have had an argument. It was really close that night because it was more like fear from me because we kept driving past this oddly looking chicken statue. <laughs> and every time we drive past this chicken statue, I'm like, nothing good can happen in southern Kentucky where there's a chicken statue in the middle of nowhere. Nothing good is going to happen. And it doesn't matter when Kim is like, you know, would you take a right right here? You know what? We've taken rights. We've taken lefts. We keep driving past this chicken statue. We're not going anywhere. I don't know what to do. And the gas tank is getting lowered. Like it was about an hour, right? Like, like it, was, it was bad. And we don't want to wake the kids. And I'm thinking, I don't know, man. We're, I don't know if we're going to make it out alive. <laughs> We stopped, I, I kid you not, we stopped to kind of like, just for me to just kind of process my feelings. And, and a porch light went on. None, no houses were up close to the road. They were all far back. And here comes these dogs. 
barking, and I'm like stepping on the gas and just, I mean, I'm telling you, church, I was panicked. And then all of a sudden, I said, you know what, how about we just veer off a little bit because I keep going around this way, and wouldn't you know it, the main road that we needed was like a mile right down the road, half a mile down the road, boom, there we were, civilization, street lights, a main highway, and we're home free. <laughs> but that's sometimes the feeling that we get spiritually, right? And also, just so you know, that I'm not embellishing or exaggerating this story, I did go home and I pulled up the satellite and map quest, and I found this place. And we went back and found the chicken statue. There it is. So we were taking pictures. At that, you could see the buildings. There was a chicken farm there. And then the farmer comes up, and we met the farmer, really nice guy and stuff. And I thought that chicken was going to kill us. I really did. Something behind that chicken. I don't know. But, but that's what it's like for a lot of us, right? We, just, we, we get into pain. And because we're going in a circle, really, in life. And so to start out this series, Lost in the Wild, we're going to start this journey by helping to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Who am I in Christ? Now, if there was ever a person in the Bible who might have wrestled with this question, who am I? Or wrestled with his identity, I think Moses could be our guy, all right? Moses is quite possibly the greatest leader in the Old Testament as well. And, and, you know, there may be some arguments in there with some others. But, but listen, Moses led the Jewish nation out of slavery from the Egyptians. 400 years they were held captive. Moses led over 2 million people free. Moses experienced the hand of God with the Ten Commandments being inscribed on these tablets of stone on top of a mountain. Him and God Almighty. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, I mean, Moses has some credentials here. Moses has some, some weight to him. But none of these credentials in Moses' story could not have been figured out if he did not realize who his identity was and what his identity was in God's kingdom. And so we're going to look at, in Hebrews chapter 11, is a really quick summary of his story. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the Hall of Faith chapter. In chapter 11 starts out many uh, little synopsis summaries of people's lives. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. Uh, Moses, uh, Rahab, all of these people are written in here because of their faith in God. They realized what their identity was, who their identity was in God's kingdom. And so I would encourage you, go to Hebrews 11 and just, just find out where that story is. Most of these people were in the book of Genesis and read their story and study it and think about it and talk to God about it because it might help you on your journey. But for Moses... In Hebrews chapter 11, it starts in verse 23, and it goes like this. This is a, a quick synopsis of his story. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months 
when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. So we'll break that down a little bit today. Now Moses, Moses was born in captivity. He was born as a slave to the Egyptians. Now, the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites, the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew people were, were slaves to Egypt. Egypt had captured them and kept them in captivity. Well, God was up to something here because he was growing his chosen people. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, saw this and he says, Whoa, you know, these, these people are growing much more faster than I ever anticipated. Before long, they're going to outnumber us. So I'm putting out a command. Every firstborn male that is born will be killed. And Moses is born. So his parents noticed something special about him, something unusual, the New Living Translation says. So they hide him for three months. And then they put him in a basket, send him up the Nile River. Do you think Moses was born in the most, you know, best of circumstances? Think about if you were three months old and somebody put you in a basket and up the river. Moses was not born in the most best of circumstances. And kind of as a side note, here's what I have to say about this. Not all of us were born in the best of circumstances. We don't get to choose that. We also don't get to choose whether or not a life is able to become a life. If a life is conceived, God has a plan for that life. Amen? So maybe we're not born in the best of circumstances, but God still has a plan for us, so how are we going to figure that out along life? So Moses, here he is, a Hebrew boy. So, so he goes up the, the Nile River. The Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt, his daughter sees this basket with this baby, falls in love with this baby, takes him in to raise him as her own. Now Moses, a Hebrew boy, grows up as an Egyptian. And then as he becomes of age, he has this dilemma on his hands. Born as a Hebrew slave, but raised in the Egyptian king's castle. Perfect ingredients for an identity crisis, right? Like, who am I? Now, verse 24 tells us that, that when he had grown up, he refused to be identified as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be identified as an Egyptian. Somewhere along the line, maybe around 12, maybe late teens, maybe early 20s or something, Moses begins to ask this question, do I identify as royalty or a slave? Do I identify as an Egyptian or a Hebrew? And he chose what many would consider the lesser of the two. He chose to identify as a Hebrew slave. He chose his true identity. You see, 
Knowing our true identity is the first step to spiritual maturity. Moses chose the harder route, for sure. But what happens here is, is when we realize our identity in Christ, spiritual maturity starts to take place, and it means that we start to live our lives as the person that we were created to be. The person and the plans that God had designed for us long before we were born begin to, to take place and begin to come to fruition. And each of us must get this figured out. Nobody can really kind of like figure this out for us. They can help us along the way. But for some, this is the million-dollar question that we have. And we find ourselves wrestling with this at times. Like, who am I? What am I supposed to do in life? Because again, our identity in Christ is much deeper than what we do out there in the world as our career or in our families or any of that. And, and asking this question and wrestling with it is not a bad thing. It's a part of our spiritual journey. It's a part of our faith journey. But the thing is, though, much of our stress in life comes from not knowing who we are in Christ. And it also takes away from, when we don't know who we are or our true identity is, it takes away from the confidence that we should have when it comes to living our life for Jesus. Because we're trying to navigate down a road that we really don't know what road we're on. And then what happens is we often allow others to shape who we are. We often live for the approval of others rather than the approval of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia that he established. Now, another person who had not an identity crisis but an identity shift was the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader who was so zealous for God, every T was crossed and every I was dotted. He lived his life to the letter of the law, the Jewish law. He brags about this he, in one of his letters. He said, nobody lived it better than me. And then he has this radical encounter with Jesus because he hated Jesus. And he has this encounter with Jesus and he experiences Jesus' unconditional love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and he realizes his true identity was to live for Jesus. Well, that didn't make any sense to him. But he walked this out because of the experience he had with Jesus. And he writes this to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1. Obviously, he said, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Interesting. See, I mentioned this last week, and this is something that's really been laid heavy on my heart lately, is this. There is a tension when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. There is a tension that we all must wrestle with when it comes to God's word. Because God's word must be spoken in love and the truth. It is a message of truth spoken in love. If it is just a message of truth that we're preaching, that's dangerous. If it is just a message of love we're preaching, that's dangerous. It has to be truth in love. We can preach truth in love, church. Jesus did it. Paul's doing it in his letters. And here's the thing. 
If we don't, if we're concerned about the approval of people, we will only preach a message of love because the tension that comes with that truth, we don't, we don't, that's hard. That can be hard. And this tension is something that we have to wrestle with. And, and because, listen, the Bible exposes us for who we are, church. And when you embrace that, you're saying to Jesus, I realize this, God. I know there's things that need changed, and I want you to change it. Change me. See, Moses decided to stay true to who he was, and I don't think that was an easy decision. He went against everything that he was raised to believe. He was raised in royalty. But again, knowing our true identity brings us to a place of spiritual maturity. And this is the most critical and the most important part of our faith journey. Otherwise, why do you think the devil, who really is, is, is out there working with world leaders and nations, but, but he has a plan and it filters all the way down to individuals. Why do you think he wants us so messed up not knowing who we are in Christ? Wrestling with this, struggling with this, and not being able to get a foothold in what our true identity is, who our true identity is in Christ. Because the moment we do, we become world changers around us. We no longer live for the approval of people, but we live for the approval of Christ because we will walk in the tension that God is bringing us into, Jesus is bringing us into, and will change the world around us. Amen? Now, when explaining to the religious leaders, Jesus that he was the light of the world. In John chapter 8, this is one of my favorite chapters of all time. It's, it's what I call the great showdown Jesus had with the religious leaders. Jesus wasn't a big fan of religion. But he says to them in John chapter 8, I know where I am, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And then he says, you, you basically don't have any idea who I am. And they start, they start fighting it. They start hashing it out, man. And Jesus drops some truth bombs on them that, that they just, their heads pop off and they decide at that moment they're going to kill him. See, oftentimes we let our past determine the current state of our identity because we're still identifying with where we came from. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. We're still identifying with that. If Jesus brought us out of that, then we should no longer be identifying with that. That lifestyle, that person, that whatever we were doing, right? Because we know where we've come from. And this transformed life in Jesus will determine where we are going. And also, later on in, in John's gospel, in John chapter 13, John states this, right before Jesus demonstrated the most humbling act of servant leadership, where he washed the disciples' feet. But John says this, John 13, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus was what we call cross-eyed. He had his eyes on the cross. He had his eyes on, on what his goal in life was, what his plan, what his identity here on this earth was meant to do for the rest of us. Our salvation and everything about our faith is on that cross. 
It was on that cross. Standing strong and staying true to where we've come from and where we are going demonstrates that we are standing on solid ground spiritually. And when we have this settled in our hearts with confidence, then we can start living out the dreams and the plans that God had for us long ago. There's several verses in the New Testament that speak of this, even in, even in some of the Psalms and, and in Jeremiah and others. And the moment this happens, our priorities begin to change. I remember when my priorities in life began to shift, more for the sake of the gospel, more for the sake of Jesus, for what he did for me, what he brought me out of, the life that I was living, totally changed. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, it says this of Moses. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And just as a side note, that's a kind of a confusing uh, verse because we're, 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 what do you mean he, he, he thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ? Jesus wasn't here yet. Well, what this means is this is a type of foreshadow for all those who would suffer for the sake of Christ by giving up the pleasures this world has to offer and following Jesus. When we lay down our lives, when we lay down the things that we used to do and pick up our cross and follow Jesus. The writer here is tying Moses' identity with the same faith of those who would later suffer for the sake of Christ. All of us will suffer for Christ at some point in time, whether or not that means uh, you know, just, just bearing down and stopping some things, cutting some things out of our lives, or maybe persecution, something. And Moses, though, he had a choice to make. He could live the pleasurable life of royalty, which was not his true identity, or he could suffer for the sake of the calling he knew was his on life. As he was looking ahead to his great reward in heaven with his creator. I would encourage you to read the whole story about Moses. This poor guy, man. But he did it. Over two million people he led out of Egypt. And they, they grumbled and complained. And he put up with it. And he got angry. And he, but he did it. He did it. Moses knew what his kingdom values were. And it was to take on his true identity, to share in the oppression of God's people, his people, and suffer for the upward calling in Christ Jesus. That was the plan God had for him. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a much harder road to travel down than any other kingdom out there. When you choose Jesus, you are now going against the grain of everything our culture, our world, everything out there tells us we should do. You lay down yourself and you pick up your cross. The kingdom of God is far better than the kingdom of pleasures, the kingdom of wealth, the kingdom of treasures. The kingdom of self, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of God 
is the one that is the harder road to travel. But let me tell you something. As challenging as it will be, no other kingdom offers the peace and sustainability that the kingdom of God offers. Nothing out there can compare to the riches and treasures and values that we gain from Jesus. When I talk about my life being uh, 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 prosperous and wealthy, money is the last thing I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about all the things Jesus does for me. My, 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 my wife, my family, the peace that I have, the fact that I can go to bed at night knowing I've done my best for Jesus. Knowing that no matter how much I mess up, he's going to help me figure it out along the way. That is much better than anything any other kingdom has to offer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians about this. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the, for, the, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That is what the Apostle Paul said. And this was a man who used to persecute and torture believers. Nothing else mattered to Paul, but to know Jesus was to gain everything. And this tells us, too, that to know who we are will prioritize our values. It will determine, once we realize who we are in Jesus, it will determine our roles and responsibilities in God's kingdom. Because we all have a role and responsibilities to play that God has for us. We're all in different places. We're all on different levels. That's what makes it the body of Christ. Because everywhere we are at, God fits in each piece of the puzzle for each church and each community and each city and each state and each nation around the world. And it will demonstrate our confidence in Jesus, our spiritual maturity in the kingdom. And then finally, knowing our identity will determine our destiny. Once Moses realized who he was, his life took on a whole new direction. Today we would say, once Moses realized who he was in Christ, a transformation took place. In verse 27, Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. This, was a, this, this is a heavy statement right here. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible, God. See, oftentimes we think a new relationship, a new location to live, a new job, a new atmosphere, something new, a change will help us with this inner turmoil that we're struggling with, right? Oftentimes, somebody who struggles with addictions thinks if they move to a new location, I can become a new person. Well, guess what happens? You just take the same old person with you to that new location, that new job, that new relationship, that new atmosphere and everything, and the whole cycle starts over again. Until we allow God's Holy Spirit to transform us by the renewing of our minds into the person we were created to be, when we try to settle that inner turmoil on our own, we just do that same cycle over and over again. See, God 
is in the people-changing business. I used to say when, when I first got, got saved, I, every now and then, when I, when I felt, okay, I think I can do this, I would go back to my old friends and I'd say, oh, I'm still the same person. No, you're not, Chip. You're not. You're changed. They see it. You just, you just don't want to admit it just yet. I changed. God changed my life, saved my life. In Philippians chapter 2, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We begin to live a life where we, 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 we read things in his word and we say, this, this is what I need to do. This is who I need to be. This is what I need to wrap my identity in. These things right here that I believe God wants me to do. And that's what pleases him. Learning our true identity, it does two things. It gives us the courage to let go of the past. By faith, Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. You got to read the story, man. God is so big in this story with Moses. And it gives us the courage to walk into the future that God has for us. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He kept, we would say, he kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on the prize. He didn't waver. He didn't change. He didn't, he didn't allow people to dictate the journey. The biggest trap we can fall into, though, church, is forgetting who we are and losing our focus. And it's easy. It's easy to get lost in it all, to get lost in the wild, to get lost in life, wondering who we are. It can be a constant battle. And for some of us, it can be a constant challenge. A challenge, though, is a good thing in the kingdom. It means you're allowing God to shape you and mold you as you, as you continue to move along. And this is what makes it a part of our journey in Jesus when figuring out our identity. It's a part of our testimony. And, and it's something that we share with people along the way. You might be, be struggling with who you are in Christ and then somebody else comes into your life and, and, and they are where you once were and you're like, listen, man, it's not going to get any easier, but I can tell you where I'm at right now and I'm working this thing out too. And you're going to give them some hope. Because they're going to say, you mean it is challenging? Oh. Press into it, you'll say. Moses did not have an easy journey, but he endures it all for the sake of eternity in heaven, for the sake of God's kingdom and his calling here on this earth. And we have Moses, we have Jesus, we have many other people, uh, specifically mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, that we can use for examples when it comes to trying to figure out our identity and to run with endurance the race set before us. Listen to this passage I want to read real quick in, in Hebrews chapter 12. This is the passage that comes after all these hall of faith people. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, sometimes I picture it like this. I don't know if this is true or not, but... We've got Moses and Noah and Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, all of these people in heaven cheering us on because we're figuring this out as we go along in life. 
We are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Each of us have a race to run that God has for us to run. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. That passage right there is a passage that I meditate on a lot. Because it what keeps me going. Because Jesus endured everything for us for me he allowed himself to be nailed on that cross when i think about that those nails went through his wrist do you know what's at the end of your wrist right here that nerve that we call the funny bone he did that for us church when we feel like giving up when we don't think we understand what our race is to run we are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses that have been where we are. And they're cheering us on. And we think about what Jesus had done for us. And that should give us the strength to keep going. I often think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was nailed to the cross. He said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He knew what he was about to be a part of, and he didn't want to do it, but yet he endured it all for each one of us. This passage right here is also what gives me the strength to keep going and to never look back, to never give up. It helps me to keep in mind all that Jesus did for me and who he created me to be. This should become a personal passage for each one of us to meditate on from time to time. Because Jesus never lost sight of who he was, where he was headed, and what his role and his plans were here on this earth. He never lost his identity, and he never lost his focus. And by keeping our eyes on Jesus, we have a better chance of not getting lost as well. So we'll, we'll wrap this all up real quick here. True peace, church, true inner peace comes from living out the purpose and plans that God has for us. And this can only happen when we know who we are in Jesus. When we are confident of our identity in the kingdom. And the best starting point to figuring this out and not getting lost in all of it is to keep our eyes on the champion, the sustainer, and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. I'll end with this verse here, Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Amen? Let's pray. I thank you, Jesus, for what you do for each one of us, God. Not just as a whole what you did on the cross, but where you meet each one of us in that special place, in that special moment where we say to ourselves, I think... This is who I am in Christ.